Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 3, Episode 18 of Farscape. Fractures, or as I would call it, reunited and it feels like long-term personal trauma that we'll be unpacking for the next several years. Okay, so uh, I don't know if you knew this, but there was sort of a spin-off book of the X-Men called Exiles for a while. Are you familiar with Exiles? No. That, I, I'm like, I was waiting to hear what you were going to say. I was like, ex- I was like Excalibur? Ecstatic? <laughs> no, Exiles. Tell me about it. Okay, so it, it's it's an X-Men spinoff book, but it's sort of more, I think this is the plot of Sliders. It's about a group of X-Men who are all plucked from alternate dimensions. Mm-hmm. Who uh, are assembled by this weird guy called the Timekeeper, who sends them to different alternate dimensions and they have different missions to correct the timeline. So is this like is this like X-Men wanting their own Elseworlds that's not what if? Well, I mean the thing is it's a reoccurring plot because it's the same team of X-Men going from alternate dimension to alternate dimension. Okay. And their missions kind of they go from stuff like stopping President Stark from being assassinated to buying the last cheese Danish at a certain bakery because Time's broken, and there's lots of little things in every universe or big things that are required to get the universe back on track. Not to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Back on whose track? See, that is sort of the thing, because the timekeeper's allegedly the guy who's in charge of stopping time from being fractured, and then you find out a bunch of stuff later. And it, it kind of, it falls apart later, but... The big thing about this team is that since it's all just alternate universe characters, uh-huh. the team dies a lot and gets replaced with new members. Like, it's a... Grim. Yeah, it's a constant cycle. Like, one of the... In the original incarnation of the team, mm-hmm. one of the uh, members is uh, the alternate reality son of Rogue and Magneto. That's not okay. They're together in a lot of AUs for some reason. They're, they were together in Age of Apocalypse. Okay. Which, yeah, it's gross, because she's, like, 18 or 20, and he's, you know... I mean... A <laughs> he, he, he's from World War II. He was a child during World War II. I so. mean, I don't, I don't want to shame if it's two, uh, two consenting adults. I guess I just think of her as being a teenager, but I guess... No, I mean, she's usually pretty young in these, but anyway... Okay, okay. <laughs> he, he dies in the first mission, and... The team, they they go through a lot of people, mm-hmm. and there's a bit really later on in the run where uh, they, they've got kind of uh, control over what universe they jump to now mm-hmm. because of all the stuff that happens, and their attention gets drawn to a world where there is a team called the Exiles, like them, that consists of the original team there uh, it's a version of their original team which is really weird because they're all from all they were all from alternate universes and it turns out that it's someone trying to uh trick Put them. wrong what once went right oh no now, it's the game it's the game master you know the game master was played by jeff goldblum in the movie yes yes but he was setting up this thing to uh you know he was setting up a game and part of it was getting their attention by creating a team that was basically their first the first incarnation of their team mm-hmm. and it kind of there's only i think two surviving members of the original team by that point so when they go to this alternate earth and see like these fresh people who are like just starting 
where they were so long ago, it serves as this really interesting contrast to, you know, how much shit the team has been through at this point. And I feel like that's sort of what they were going for in this episode, and it straight up did not work. I know that was a really long lead up to get to a, this episode does not work, but... Okay, this episode works for me because of the last 30 seconds. Like, the last 30 seconds of this episode are vital. Everything that comes before, I kind of forget about when I'm not actually doing a uh, Farscape rewatch. Okay, I I think that that says that it's a bad episode, though. I mean, that's more or less why I stopped watching, um... Alias? I was gonna say Lost, because I realized I could just watch the first four minutes and the last one minute of an episode, and I would miss literally nothing. Once upon a time? Not even four minutes. I could watch, like, the first... The recap, and then, you know, yes, also later seasons of Once Upon a Time had this issue. No, I'm not saying there's not good stuff in this episode, because I think there is good stuff in this episode. It's just that it, mm. you know, it's not as vital, it's not as memorable as the end. Well, the point is, the the premise of the episode should be solid. It should be a, look how far these characters have come. Mm-hmm. We got this in the seventh season of Buffy, too. Dawn goes to the new high school. She meets her fake Xander and fake Willow, who immediately disappear because <laughs> Buffy never... So, so really, aren't they her fake Jessies? Buffy, the TV show, never cares about Dawn. Oh. I mean, what, she got the first episode and she got Potential? Oh, gosh, and she got him. Those were the three episodes she got in season seven. First episode, kind of. I guess her thing in conversations with dead people was kind of cool where she, uh, where the first attacks her in the house and she does that ritual. To, yes. Uh, Wait, what about the one where she, uh, goes out on Halloween and ends up with those teenage vampire boys? That was season six. Okay. So this other podcast I listened to called Buffy the Gilmore Slayer, mm-hmm. where they're watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Gilmore Girls. And one of them has never seen Buffy and one of them's never seen Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. And they just finished season four, and I am so excited <laughs> to see to see her reaction to Dawn just showing up. And I don't know if you can tell from us actively not talking about it, but I barely remember what happened in this episode, and we basically just watched it. Like oh. there, there's a there's a new group of aliens, and they're basically the original Farscape people, but not. And one of them's a traitor or something. And and Aaron's sad because John died, but there's another John. But things are awkward, and I just yeah. But on the plus side, this episode opens with a a bunch of John Beefcake, which is... Shirtless John! It feels like it's been a while. John got really sexualized in the early seasons, and it feels like it's been a bit since we've seen that. Yes, yes. This sexualization, though, has plot relevance, or theme relevance. Hmm. So when John first got twinned, to keep them straight, one of them wore a black shirt and one of them wore a green shirt. Mm -hmm. And the black-shirted John is the one who went off with Aaron, and... Even though they are twinned and they are the same and et cetera, et cetera, neither one is a clone of the other. Mm-hmm. Black-shirted John was really the prime John, you know? And What? You mean the real John wasn't the one who had farting around adventures with Dargo where they went to Drug Planet and 
Okay, I, lo- I I I love Drug Planet. I mean, we made our we made our feelings on Cartoon Planet. I mean, it wasn't a planet. We we made our feelings on Cartoon Hallucination clear, but I love Drug Planet. Okay, Drug Planet was fun, but honestly, most of the non-clone John. I guess he wasn't a clone because of the way the splitting process worked. The John that's been on Moya's kind of had really sucktastic adventures. Yeah, he has. Like. It's been rough, but not fun rough or interesting rough, just rough. I thought the Drug Planet was... Drug Planet was fun, but like, there there was... How, how many episodes have they been apart? And there was Drug Planet, there was Awful Cartoon episode, there was the one where the ladies like, I perfected traveling through wormholes. Whoops, no I didn't. I think that's it. But because then that's six episodes, because then we were with the other crew. Really, it feels like it's been for goddamn ever. But anyway, we're back now. So John. Uh, so John asks Dargo, "Should I wear the black shirt or the green shirt?" And Dargo says, "The black, of course, because this is this is our prime John again." Yes. No more cartoon hallucinations for this John. Yes, John is standing shirtlessly in front of Dargo, being like, "What shirt should I put on?" I needed to not wear a shirt for this. And I like that we're back to Dargo and John being friends after the weird, unnecessary hostility thing that they had in the cartoon episode. Yeah. Like, that was some season one John Dargo stuff. But a uh, a ship is returning, and they assume that it's Aaron and other John and um, Krace and Stark and, to a lesser degree, Rigel. Well, well, Moya sensed Talon, but now a transport pod right a leviathan transport pod is coming so they think it must be them but it's not it's not we have a reflection as as i hinted from my very long story about the exiles we have a reflection of the original crew show up they're uh, escapees from the peacekeepers from a peacekeeper prison ship and God, Shiana's wig has not gotten any better. I know that she got a new wig, and it just, it still looks so awful in this episode. I still don't think it's the best, but I think it looks better than it did last episode. I mean, it would be hard for it to look worse. I I think it looks better. So, poor John is all nervously standing, I mean, they're all there, but John is, like, nervously waiting for Aaron to come, and doesn't know what it's going to be like, and... They're all like, it's okay. I'm sure other John took good care of her. Yeah, Joel's like, I'm sure that other John's been banging Aaron for the past however long. But nope. Uh-oh, mirror crew. They've got a warrior race guy. A Scarin. Yeah, they've got a Scarin, who's this team's Dargo. They've got dude Aaron. They've got non-binary Chiana, which is an interesting touch. Mm-hmm. They've got a... V- Female Rigel. Ugh. I, I don't want to be space fish person racist, but Hynerians are just awful all the time. Well, I mean, as you so clearly pointed out when we were watching this episode, Rigel stated he is not a body breeder, but this episode seems to imply otherwise. Yeah, yeah. It's just Rigel and this lady of uh, Hynerian having sex all the time, even though they're explicitly not body breeders. I know I shouldn't be mad about this because, I mean, for all of continuity being Farscape's strong suit, it's also kind of not its strong suit. Well, here's the thing. He says once in season one that Hynerians are not body breeders, but then he talks about sex 
as though they are essentially for the rest of the show. So honestly, we shouldn't be holding that to that one discontinuous statement in the first season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's that's unfair. That's like us talking about, hey, why doesn't Buffy ever use her PMS vampire detecting powers? <laughs> Which I thought were a thing in the first season, but might might have actually just been in the movie. It was just in the movie. Although the movie is ambiguously canon. Sure, sure. So uh, the Scarin shows, you know, our crew. That the peacekeepers have removed the part of him that generates heat. Hmm. So that's how they can keep Scarens as prisoners. So presumably he can't do any of his breath weapon stuff. And also he can't kill a peacekeeper just by touching them with their heat delirium. I wonder if he still has his psychic powers. I think he probably doesn't because they appear to use their heat to do that. Weird. But yeah, everyone pairs off. Uh, Chiana goes with the non-binary... Nabari. Nabari. Chiana goes off with the non-binary Nabari. Uh, and they uh, come across another alien who is a Bulite. An alien whose body part, who, who, is, who has exploded, but whose body parts can survive independently. So they need to put his goo back together or at least find a mouth. So that he can tell them who blew him up so they know which of them is the traitor. Which of this crew of escaped prisoners is the one that is actually in league with the peacekeepers and going to turn them all in. Yes, not counting the uh, dude Aaron character, not including the dude peacekeeper because he is just straight up a regular peacekeeper. No, so it's interesting because you called him the dude Aaron character Mm -hmm. because he's a peacekeeper. But actually the Scarin is the dude Aaron character. Isn't the scare in the Dargo character? No, because you're you're doing them by like what their position in a and d party would be, which is legit. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But his his story position is he's the race that we are at war with, but has befriended them because they're all in the same position. Hmm. So. There's no Dargo. There's no heavy. Maybe the blue light, maybe the guy that got exploded was the heavy. I mean, if you want to take people down and they don't know there's a traitor aboard, the first thing you should do is take out the heavy. Hmm. I thought the first one you should take out is the healer. Actually, what you should do is take them all out simultaneously before anyone has a chance to find you. Good point. So. <sighs> they don't have a healer, though, because our yep. crew doesn't have a healer anymore, so they don't either. Which, if they were a reflection of season one, then they should, but. Maybe they had one that died. I guess since they have a Nabari, that means that they're more of a reflection of... Or maybe we shouldn't just be trying to... Yeah, it's not one-to-one. Yeah. It's it's not a one-to-one parallels thing. Also, don't confuse... What is it? Bunari? Bulite. Don't confuse Bulite with Budong, which is the giant space whale. Correct. Very similar name-wise. Remember the giant space whale. The moment with the giant... That, that, that might come up later again in this episode, and it might be my looking for a way home slash... The wonders that I've seen moment. Mm. So, back on Talon, Aaron has Stark's mask. Stark told her to bring it to John because he would know what to do. Hold on to it for the several episodes the actor is doing something else before he comes back. Exactly. Now, Stark went into, like, the nether realm to hang out with Xan or whatever for a while. It definitely has nothing to do with the fact that the actor had, like, an opera or something to be in for a while. Yes. I, actually, I 
last episode I mentioned what it was, um, but now I don't remember. I, but I think it was actually a Shakespearean play that he had a commitment to, but it was at the Sydney Opera House. Hmm. He was like, John's a human from Earth. He understands commitments, you know, outside of the show. Also, he split himself in two, so he understands that sometimes you have to do strange things to manage your time. So, I do like that once they, you know, they get started on the episode's plot, helping out, you know, these new people who escape from the Peacekeepers, and then the thing that they thought happened earlier happens, and, you know... Only John goes to greet Talon. Yeah, because they're like, eh, we're not being fooled again. They're like, we Won't all- be fooled again. Yes! They're like, we already did the, like, standing in the airlock tableau. No one wants to do that again. So... They're treating this like a curtain call. People are coming out in reverse order that John would want to see them. Yeah. <laughs> like, so first it's Rigel, then it's Crace. Then it's Crace. It's Rigel first, and then it's Crace. Okay, so this is the thing that's weird about all of this. I was going to say, Crace and John kind of, like, healed their whole thing, but not this John! Although it's really weird because this John is genuinely happy to see Crace, which... I think he's just happy because it means they're reunited. But you're right. He should be angrier. This is the craze that took Aaron. Yeah. And I like how John's happy to see Crace. And Crace is just kind of awkward. Like, he, he gives John a smile and he kind of nods. But Crace is awkward because he developed this relationship with the other John. And... God, uh, I I wish we got more Crace because he's in such this weird, awkward position. I don't want to go to Avatar The Last Airbender, even though I'm probably going to, when I, you know, immediately say he's like the Zuko. Yeah. Because he was the, he was the big bad in the first season, and, like, his coming to the light has been very awkward and uncomfortable for everyone. Well, now, don't forget, Farscape came first, so Zuko's actually the Krace. Mm. But Krace is also awkward because he knows what's coming. Like, God! He's just, like, not gonna be in the room by the time Aaron gets off the ship because they, he just does not want to deal with this reunion. Speaking of, Aaron gets off the ship, and, uh... Oh, yeah. It's rough. I mean, there's John, the guy who's the love of her life, and it's not the right John. It's... It's not her John. And it's awkward. Like, John's kind of expecting there to be... Something. And she just kind of, she says hello to him, and then she just walks off. And he's like... What? But I had sexy cartoon hallucinations about you. And Crace is like, dude, dude. Yeah, he's like, dude, our John is dead, so uh, things are gonna be a little awkward for a while. Yeah, he breaks the news, honestly, pretty gently for Crace. Yeah. Like, he, he tells him the other Crichton died, and he kind of makes this weird, like comforting gesture thing like he kind of offers him his shoulder mm-hmm. like i feel like he might be touching john's arm but it's kind of shot so you can't see that even rigel is like i feel like i should be responding to emotions but i am not equipped for that at all but then that's that's cut because that's that's undercut because he 
he smells a female Hynerian. Yeah, he's Gross. like... Gross, Rachel. Yes. He's like, oh, you have visitors. I smell lady parts. And John's like, oh, gross. So as long as Rachel's already undercut this scene, you know, the emotion of this scene. Mm-hmm. Are you going to talk about how good the show Lady Parts is on Peacock? Oh, no, it wasn't, but it is. We Are Lady Parts? Yeah, totally. You should watch it. Peacock is killing it on original programming. Yeah, Rutherford Falls. Uh, Girls 5 Eva. Oh, God, Girls 5 Eva. The, honestly, the Saved by the Bell reboot. The Saved by the Bell reboot is so much better than it has any right to be. Well, it's because it's Tracy Wigfield. It is. It's a Tracy Wigfield show. So you know what you're getting going into it. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, if you watch Great News, which is also a Tracy Wigfield show. Mm. So, um, no, no. What I was going to say is I'm trying to imagine what the world would be if other Crichton hadn't died. Like, what happens then? Does, does... <sighs> Like, John and Aaron are just totally in love and happy and ready to start a life together. And then there's this other John who's also in love with her, but he's just arbitrarily not the John she's in love with. And I say arbitrarily because they're identical and the same thing would have happened if that John had gone on Talon, things would have gone down exactly the same way. So she would have fallen in love with this John Mm. if he had been there. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm just, I just, that would be an interesting sitcom. Like, I, I'm imagining, like, the 1980s theme song Saga Cell for that sitcom. I'm sorry. John Mulaney kind of ruined that for me with the switcheroo. <laughs> the SNL yes, short. Yes, yes. It's an SNL short where uh, John Mulaney is a showrunner for an 80s show, uh, an 80s body swap show called The Switcheroo, about a uh, a man and his son who swap bodies, and now the son has to have sex with the mom because he's in the body of the dad, and that's the entire premise of the show, and he's trying to get it rebooted, and the interviewer's like, okay, but... It was canceled. We as a nation recovered from this show being on the air. Why are you trying to inflict this on us again? It's a, it's a good bit. John Mulaney's a very funny person. I don't know if I don't know if you knew that John Mulaney's a very funny person. I've I've um, I've heard that. Sorry, I was just imagining like are you she's to... an alien <laughs> and he's twin clones. They both love her. But she's only dating one. <laughs> now they live in a house and there's a kid because this is an 80s show. A kid with a bowl cut. Yes. They're two of a kind. So. I was trying to think of what the title would be. Mm. I, I was going with two of a kind. Not like uh, something spare. Pick up the spare. Ooh. Hmm. Ooh, ooh, uh, uh, love to spare. Ooh, yeah. Love to spare. All right, so, back on Farscape and not my imaginary sitcom. (laughs) Farscape is not filmed before a live studio audience. No, no, it's not. Wait, wait, should I cut together scenes from Farscape and make love to spare, make the opening credits for love to spare? You could. You just need to... I mean, you you could probably do it from the... Uh, what's that theme song that everyone uses when they're parodying 80s sitcoms? The one from... I think it was Perfect Strangers, you know. Standing tall on the wings of my dreams. 
rise and fall because it means nothing it's just um no no we have to sing it because it has to be a saga cell where the song tells you the premise of the show or you could i think you should maybe hire people to sing that because as you could tell from that little bit i can't sing at all well yeah, yeah. We, we, we i wouldn't sing it but um oh you know i have a long list of like little side projects i want to do this has just officially been added to the list <laughs> love to spare if anyone writes songs, get in contact with us. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, over at Rigel's place, he's, like, looking at his official portrait, and the female Hynerian is all like, Oh, you're Rigel, my dominar. You know, I was imprisoned for being on your side during the revolution. And he's like, well, that is convenient. Yes, she's like, I was an upper-class lady, and I stood loyal to the true Dominar, and they threw me in prison, and also, I have a, like, amazing fish vagina. You should see it. And he's like, I'd like to. I'd like to see your amazing fish vagina. And she's like, oh, but I'm, I may be an upper-class lady, but I'm too lower-class for you, my perfect god-emperor. And he's like, nah. Okay, okay. And then the camera, like, it zooms in tight on both of their eyes so that you can, like, see them making eyes at each other. Mm. Look, this is not a thing I normally say about this show, but I feel like having two Hynerian puppets talk to each other really takes me out of feeling like the puppets are real. It felt much more like a skit on the Muppets than, like, Farscape usually does. You can tell that she's a lady because she has eyelashes. Yeah, and hair for some reason. As, as fish do. And, like, a big poofy red coat that she took from Miss Piggy's closet. So, uh, Chiana wants to look at the front of the puzzle box. She's like, okay, wait, if we're putting this guy together, you need to tell me what he looked like, otherwise I don't know which parts go where. We're just sticking spleens to eyeballs and butts to faces. So I, I do a lot of puzzles, it's kind of the way I relax, and I've I've recently entered the hard mode of puzzles where I refuse to look at the front of the box. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Chiana, amateur. Is this the first goo guy you've ever put back together? So... There's sort of this weird zoom in on Chiana, and she, like, whips out her gun phaser thing. Because she's, she's hearing she's hearing gunfire, pulse blasts. Yeah. Um, and they're all like, yeah, Chiana, none of us none of us are hearing that. I love how dead Pandargo is, because normally he's, you know, he flips out all the time. But he's like, Chiana, no one's hearing any gunfire. Maybe you should put your gun away. Maybe you're being the big, you know, hysterical baby I usually am whenever literally anything happens. Well, Chiana says it's happening again. I'm sensing things before they happen. But that... Has that happened? With the painting! The magical painting that told the future. That didn't... That wasn't... It's not a power she inherently has, except now apparently it is. Is this going to be a thing going forward, Chiana sensing the I literally don't remember. That's good. That's a a good sign. (laughs) So Aaron is, you know, walking through Moya. I want to point out just a little thing with Aaron here. Yeah. Aaron has her hair tied up really, really tight. Yes, she does. Which is just a huge contrast to how loose we've seen it. Which Stark even drew attention to on the ghost planet that she's just been having her hair loose since she got together with John, and then when she was grieving his death. And 
her hair here is all bound up and she's very emotionally repressed which is just it's a nice little bit of uh Mm -hmm. it's it's really well done and heartbreaking oh my god so she looks like a peacekeeper again even though she's not a peacekeeper anymore Mm -hmm. but she's you know kind of back in regulation dress and the peacekeeper who is being held in one of one of moya's cells is like hey you're a peacekeeper be a be a be a pal be a be a peacekeeping pal and let me out. And she's like, no. And he's like, but my prisoners are dangerous. And she's like, dude. Grow up. Yeah, like, we're all escaped prisoners here. So you can just, you know, calm down. But also, she doesn't say that because she's just totally shell-shocked from other Crichton's deaths. So she's just like, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not going to involve myself in this plot this week. I'm just going to walk around the ship and feel how empty it is of john and how the fact that it's empty of john is even more distressing because there's a guy walking around who is john but in uh, the most important way he's not speaking of john john is going through other john's stuff mm-hmm. and he uh he takes out other john's jacket and smells it which i mean a little weird but you do you dude well i'm sure it smells like aaron and thus he realizes that uh yeah like for a shocking reference, when Oz came back to Buffy and he could smell uh, Willow on Tara's clothes because mm-hmm. he's a werewolf and Tara and Willow had been having sex. Yeah, exactly. He also pulls out uh, the pulse pistol. Now he has two. Well, he remembered that the other John took his favorite pulse pistol. So he replaces he replaces the pulse pistol but he puts the jacket down. He knows he can't wear that jacket, that it will upset Aaron. Mm. Uh, he also finds Stark's mask, and as soon as he puts it on, Stark, like, holograms out of it, like, like Leia popping out of R2-D2. He's all like, help me, John Creighton, you're my only hope, except not really, because I know what I'm doing way more than you do, so just sit down and listen up. Yeah, he, he starts to give a speech, but then he gets interrupted by Pilot, and Pilot's like... Hey, so, uh, Moya just intercepted a Peacekeeper distress signal, so we're probably gonna have to deal with Peacekeepers pretty soon. John's like, where, where is the Peacekeeper distress signal? And Pilot's like, it's coming from inside the ship! Dunna, na, 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 dunna, na, na, na. Wouldn't the obvious person you would suspect be the Peacekeeper who they've got imprisoned on their ship? I think that the... I think they know that he can't, that he doesn't have access to anything. I don't know. You you didn't, like, check between his toes or behind his ears or anything. Yeah, it's true. But he didn't he didn't issue a distress call while he was on the transport pod with everybody else. Hmm. Well, maybe he didn't have privacy there. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that could be true. I'm just saying, when Crichton came onto the ship, they strip-searched him. Yep. They just threw this guy in a cell, so I would not be surprised if he was making phone calls all willy-nilly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they're trying to figure out who it could be since clearly it's not the peacekeeper they have in captivity. And uh, Rigel's like, oh, it couldn't have been the female Hynarian because I've been fish balls deep in her. Oh, gross. Sorry. Was that too crass? Should we cut that? No, no, no. We should leave it in. The people need to know. That I said that I need to be held accountable for the horrible (laughs) things I say. Yes. Oh, but they all vouch for kind of their person, right? Dargo's been with the Skyrim the whole time. Uh, Chiana's been with the Nabari the whole time. And 
Rigel and the Tynerian have been together this whole time. They've been having fish sex. So everyone kind of storms off and they're all like, okay, we're going to keep doing the the one-on-one defense. Everybody watch your person. Buddy system. (laughs) Yeah. And Pilot's going to starburst away and Talon can find them later. And it's not, okay, I guess... I guess it's not the worst plan in the world, but it's not a good plan either. Because you can only starburst every so often, and once they starburst, they, they're they going to be stuck, and whoever's sending out the signal is still going to be sending the signal. I'm saying since no peacekeepers have approached yet... Yeah, just wait until they're closer and then... Right, and they should be spending that time finding the person who's sending out the signal, otherwise you're going to be in the same situation, except without the ability to starburst, but nobody asked me. So, anyway... Crace and Jewel are putting the the guy back, back together. together. And Crace is very matter of fact. I kind of like that Crace is in this very chill headspace now. And Jewel appreciates being around someone who doesn't actively hate her. So Yeah. That must be a relief for her. Like for all the hate that Jewel gets, and, and a lot of it's deserved, but She is very annoying. But it must be exhausting to be around people who hate you all the time. So Aaron's, you know, working on the ship and John is just like trying to get her to talk to him, which is a terrible idea because, you know, give her some space, John. I I know, I know, I know you're hurting, but she's hurting too. Just freaking give her some space, you know? He starts like listing cartoon characters and then he's he's making references, right? Cuz that's what he does to get her attention. So she'll be all like, what are you talking about? And she's just like, just let me work. And he's like, look, I talked to Crace and he told me that the other me died and that you two are like involved. And Aaron just does not want to deal with any of this right now. Right. And who can blame her? Honestly, I I know this is a hard situation for both of them, but John is so in the wrong here. He needs to be letting her work through how she feels. Although I guess... From his perspective, he feels like if he never pushed Aaron to confront her feelings, she never, ever would, which is probably also true. Mm. But, I mean, she left the grief planet. She did. She left the cool ghost world, which would have been a fun place to maybe spend another episode or two. Mm. It was such a cool setting, and I'm 10,000% sure we never see it again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was such a good episode for Claudia Black. Like It really was. It sucks that it, you know, just dealt with her... Father issues more than anything else. I was going to say mother issues, but... Well, I mean... Not, not to relitigate it now. Sure. But I really wish it had turned out that Crace had shot her mother, and that the version of her mother we were dealing with in that episode was just a ghost. Yes, that would have been so much better. Agreed. 100%. But I, I don't have a problem that it was mostly her dealing with parent issues, because... So much of Farscape is, like, parent issues all the way down. Mm. John and his cricket daddy. Yeah, and his regular daddy. That's why That's why when Dargo, when, uh, when they're on the lobster truth head planet and he says, you know, Dargo, tell them who their daddy is. And Dargo says, I am your daddy. God. So Dargo's having a heart-to-heart with John about how it sucks that, uh, you know... Other him died and that Aaron was boning other him and had like a heart boner for other John. And he's like, hey, I know what you're going through. My girlfriend had sex with my son 
And Joan's like, those situations are not analogous, my friend. Mm-hmm. Those are different situations. The other guy in my situation was me. Yeah. I got cucked by myself. Yeah. Or hot, not, not hot wife by himself. No, no. Those are different things. Yes. But, oh, he... You know what? I this this Dargo, I'm so glad that we're back to like emotionally intelligent and mature Dargo who's grown for the last 3 seasons as opposed to cartoon murder Dargo. Cartoon murder Dargo. He's he's so in tune here. He tells John, like first of all, first of all, he tells John at the beginning, "I don't have any advice. I don't know what to say to make things better, but you know, I'm here for you." Which is great because, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't have anything that will make it better. And John says he's jealous that this guy is dead. He's jealous of a dead man. And um, Dargo points out that now Aaron is walking around feeling like John, the John who's alive, is the copy. Ugh. Some rough stuff. Rough stuff. Speaking of rough stuff. Oh, dear. Yeah, no. Back, back, to, back to the fish sex. Back to fish sex. So... We see Rigel, this this might be significant. We see Rigel sleeping after having fornicated with, uh, what's her bucket? And John wakes him up by blowing on him, which, weird, weird. I mean, I get it, he's doing it so he won't also wake up what's her bucket. Right, he doesn't He doesn't want to wake up the female Hynerian. So, yeah. So, John's like, okay, the pod's ready. Uh, is, is your fish girlfriend going or is she staying? And he's like, um, I think she's gonna stay. And John's like, women are nothing but trouble! Yeah, Rigel says, I don't think I want her to leave. John, I think I might be in love with her vagina. And the part of her around the vagina, even. Ugh. And actually, he, you know, John is, John is... Very embittered. Okay, here's here's a random reference that I don't think our, our listeners will hear coming. All right. You know the uh, the part in the wedding singer right after Adam Sandler has has been dumped and now all of his songs are like angry and yeah yeah this is John right now because Roger's like I'm in love with her and John's like well then you need to get her out of here even quicker because love is a lie and everything is terrible. Man. Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler really had a diminishing returns on their movies together thing going on, didn't they? Yep, Wedding Singer's the best. Fifty First Dates is fine. And then the Blended. Blended was to be fair, I didn't see Blended, but I did. Oh, how uh It's bad. It's yeah. bad. I um I went cause Is it one of the Adam Sandler vacation movies where he because, you know, he just makes movies as an excuse to get paid vacations. Now, yes, right? it is. It is. And it was, I went because the person I was with wanted to see it. And I was so bored. I, like, got up and I was like, I, I'm just going to create a popcorn refill. But I, like, sat in the lobby and <laughs> scrolled through my phone for a while because I'm like, this is so boring. Yeah. Like, first, 50 first dates is fine. It's back when Adam Sandler still kind of cared. I actually, I actually have some affection for Fifty First Dates, yeah. Yeah, it's not a terrible movie, and it's not too Adam Sandlery. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, the uh, the fish girlfriend, the the sexy Hynerian is like, 
I heard dominars never need rest. Honestly, the puppet work is upsetting. The it's puppets upsetting. <laughs> she and Rachel make out, and it's just these two fish puppets mashing their faces together. And they're like vibrating her. <laughs> so away from the upsetting Hynerian sex stuff, Chiana is uh, talking to the other Nabari, and she's like, "So why were you imprisoned?" And the other Nabari is like, "Because I am." And uh, non-binary, and they they weren't they weren't all for that. And Chiana's like, that is fascinating. Yeah, it turns out this Nabari is an androgen. Yeah, androgen. I mean, I I don't think which it's... way to break the creativity bank on that name, guys. I mean, I don't think that it's necessarily uh, bad. I I mean that this Nabari is an alien. Well, I, I I more meant the bit where the Nabari lifted up their. Uh... Oh, yeah, their... yeah. Undid their pants to show Chiana what was up. Yeah. It's not not great. Yeah, their ambiguous genitalia. Mm. But, yeah, and then Chiana, Chiana says that the Nabari basically disappear androgens when they're born. And I just want to point out that had the show continued, the Nabari were going to be the villain that was even greater than uh, the Scarens or the uh, Peacekeepers. So... There you go. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Crace and Jewel are still trying to put all the all, all the king's craces and all the king's jewels. Are trying to put together the guy who got all, you know. Blowed up. And he's like, traitor, traitor. And Crace is like, thank you, but can you give us more information than that? Clearly you can talk. I need more information. But Jewel's like, I'm still putting together his brain. It's going to be a bit. And his ear. Like, they have, yeah, they haven't put his ear back together. <laughs> oh. And John's like, can you tell us who the traitor is? And the mouth is like, I don't remember. I'm in a, I'm in a lot of pieces right now. Maybe cut me a break. Yeah. Chris is like, well, I don't see any more brain pieces around. Oh. It's like, look, as soon as we get more of the brain together, we'll, you know, we'll beep you. And then you can ask him some more questions. It's really convenient that he only has that much information. Yeah, the, the the amount of information that they basically already had. So someone has attacked uh, the what's in my bucket? The Scarin. Yes, the Scarin. And uh, Dargo's like, I just turned my back for a second. And John's like, ooh, this must be something really powerful to knock out a Scarin. But remember, he had his little heat thing removed, so he's probably not as powerful. Hmm. And Chiana's like, I knew it. I foresaw that someone was going to get shot and someone was shot. And everybody else is either too polite or too busy to point it out. But Chiana, come on. Lots of people get shot on this ship. We live in Portland. If I walked out every day and was like, Max, I think it's going to rain today. You wouldn't be like, wow, my my wife is boobs tell the weather. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it reminds me of a bit from Ellen DeGeneres' book where she talks about uh, seeing a psychic, mm-hmm. and the psychic ended the uh, encounter by saying, bless you, and Ellen's like, I didn't sneeze, and the psychic says, oh, but you will, and three <laughs> days later, she did. I love it. I love that. It's a good book. It's too bad that Ellen likes to shove virgins into volcanoes or whatever her thing is now. I mean, she's a terrible boss. She's just incredibly, incredibly mean. 
is it like a it's like a Chuck Norris thing, right? Where you don't make eye contact with her, she flips out at you. Yeah, and apparently she like flips out for no reason, and she's just totally runs her staff to be scared of her. Like, yeah, I, that was one of the things that bothered me when Chuck Norris jokes were really big, mm-hmm. because I, I read some stuff with people who worked on Texas Ranger walker texas ranger and apparently he was like this massive diva who had like screaming meltdowns if you know everyone wasn't constantly telling him how awesome he is god is that the origin of those jokes i don't think so oh god wait maybe i have no idea i i have no idea where i never knew where the chuck norris thing came from but it was a thing I read a while ago. I don't know how accurate it is, but apparently that show is like almost entirely done by film students from Texas universities. Mm. And like almost nobody got paid except for him. And like he would just have huge meltdowns if anyone was being disrespectful. Well, I mean, it's a terrible thing in the industry that because you're supposed to be grateful to even be working on a show, people in charge are able to just treat their employees like shit. And there's hardly ever consequences and there should be i mean it's one of my favorite kind of one-off jokes from uh 30 rock where jenna talks about when when uh tgs is getting canceled and she's like i need to be on tv if i wasn't on tv i couldn't do horrible stuff like this and she just slaps a guy in the face and then later in the episode when she's trying to get on law and order uh they have they have uh who's the guy who plays john munch Richard, uh... Belzer. Richard Belzer. Like, Richard Belzer's like, okay, I'm ready, and he just slaps a random person in the face. Which, from what I've heard about Richard Belzer, isn't that far off the mark, but... Uh, 30 Rock did a lot of, like, jokes that were not jokes. They were just things that were known. There were multiple jokes about Harvey Weinstein. And Bill Cosby. And Bill Cosby. Ugh. Can you tell how much nothing happens in this episode? Yeah. Yeah. Again, like, if episodes were only as long as, you know, they needed to be, I think this episode would be maybe 20 minutes. It's not as bad as that one where they go through the, like, alternate emotion dimensions and John has to do everything five times to pad out the runtime. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, nobody knows who shot the Scarin because, of course, the Navar- what? Who shot the Scarin? But he did not shoot the deputy. <laughs> But, yeah, everyone's accusing everyone, and we have to go through, oh, so-and-so was with me, so-and-so was with me, blah, 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 blah. What strikes me here is they probably could have solved this problem by mixing it up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, instead of Rigel, the least the least reliable of them, keeping an eye on the Hynerian, if they'd been like, okay, we're all going to switch partners. Yeah, Chiana keeps an eye on the Hynerian, uh, Rigel keeps an eye on the other Nabari. Like, Chiana has to take the other Nabari out of the room because they're getting very upset. Mm-hmm. And Chiana's like, no, come on. We're friends. We bonded over the fact that I also didn't like the whole elective brain... I'm sorry, non-elective brain surgery thing yes, that yes. the Nabari are famous for. So, uh, the DRDs have found the device that's sending the signal, so that's good. They've got that taken care of. But they can't tell who it was who set the device off. And uh, John, like you, is suspicious of the Peacekeeper. So he goes, by the way, the Peacekeeper is being guarded by a DRD, which seems like just an insult. 
<laughs> like, everybody else has a crew member guarding them, but he's like, I don't know, we're just gonna put this Roomba in front of your door. Well, it was Aaron's job, and Aaron just wandered off to go be sad somewhere else in the ship. Was it Aaron's job? Yeah, she, she went over, because everyone was... Everyone had their suspicion buddy, and Aaron had, like, a brief conversation with him, and she's like, you know what, I don't have patience for this. Mm. I don't care about the peacekeepers. I don't want to listen to your, oh, you can still be one of us. I don't care. Goodbye. Yeah. Anyway, the the transport pod that the, these this alternate crew came in on is going to be fixed in 15 minutes, and then they don't have to worry about this anymore. They can just put them all on the pod and send them all on their way. Yeah, I, I do like how John's like, this is just, it's not going to be our problem pretty soon. Yep. Not my circus, not my monkeys, not my not my ship, not my traders. Yeah, like, as soon as we get even vaguely close to a friendly commerce planet, <laughs> gonzos. Yep. But, of course, Rigel wants his, his, uh, his Hynerian lady friend to stay. Orn. Orn. And, uh, so we know it's her. Well, I, we get the impression that Chiana wants her uh, Nabari friend to stay, too, so... Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, like, Chiana's Nabari friend is the obvious red herring because they ran off, you know, when suspicion started getting thrown around, but mm-hmm. it's obviously Rigel's sex lady. So, uh, back in the, the medic bay or whatever it is, I'm impressed by how much of this guy they've got put back together. Like, it, he was literally just a pile of goo, and now he's got, like, a face and everything. And Grace points out, look, whoever shot this guy was smart. They knew how to shoot him so that he would be very difficult to put back together. Mm-hmm. Like... Or maybe they just had a really big gun. So, Dargo confronts Aaron. He's like... What are you doing to my boy? Yeah... My buddy's having some pretty big feels, and I've come a long way, but I don't feel really, like, emotionally equipped to handle it, so if you could talk to... And Aaron's like, no. No. Yeah, Aaron shuts him down. But yeah, they're they're looking for, uh, they're looking for Chiana and her Nabari friend, and Chiana and her Nabari friend were hiding in a box, because everyone's suspicious of the Nabari friend, even though it's obviously not going to be them. Mm-hmm. But since everybody is suspecting this other Nabari who obviously didn't do it, Chiana's like, hey, you know what? Everybody's mean to me, too, and I'm not dating Dargo anymore, so why don't the two of us leave? Yeah, we can go to that planet where you uh, jump off a cliff and almost hit a rock with your face. The Taking the Stone planet. Yeah. Yeah, they totally could. Or they could go to the nonconformist colony that this Nabari was originally living in before they got captured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the fall apart alien is more together now. Yay. But he's still not giving any, uh... He's just saying, so, so beautiful. And then we do a hard cut to the, you know, Nabari, but it, it's, 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 it's a red herring. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Nabari and, the other Nabari and Chiana are separated now. They're both trying to make their way to the shuttle bay so they can get a transport pod but they're separated so we're meant to think oh wait now this nabari's gonna like start shooting things and we see the uh the drd that's guarding the peacekeeper gets shot Mm -hmm. and the peacekeeper's like oh fuck this is where i die and john's like oh okay i'll deal with it well pilot's like oh no it's a prison break the cell door's open and john's like no that's no that's not what's happening now the uh 
the the blue light comes uh, comes you know to just enough to say she betrayed us, which means that it's the Hynerian because Hynerian's the only woman in the split off group. Yeah, I like that they did that this way. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she takes Rigel hostage, which oh my god, worst person to take hostage. <laughs> right. Oh no, we have to shoot Rigel. What a terrible tragedy. Bam, 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 bam. To, to, uh, to butcher a, a Futurama reference. Mm-hmm. We need to rescue Rigel. Why? Those arguments aside. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's all like, oh, guess what? I wasn't on your side. Fuck you. Which I did a lot because... You were in your refractory period for a long, long time while I went and did, like... Yeah, Rachel's like, how could you be the traitor? I had my eyes on you the whole time. And she's like, you sleep for 12 hours every time you fish sex. Yep, yep. Oh, and by the way, just to add, like, insult to injury, she's like, by the way, I'm not a noble lady. I'm just a soldier. You had sex with, like, a peasant. Yeah, suck on that, loser. And then he's all like, wait, but you did fish sex too? How come you didn't have a refractory period? And she's like, I was faking. I do, I do love her turn of phrase here. She's like, I'm afraid, Dominar, that the pleasure was yours. Yes. So Moya's been disabled because... Yeah. It's the part of the episode where Moya's disabled. That's why Moya's disabled. So... Grace is like, okay, it's the Lady Hynerian. That this should be easy, but uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> the the peacekeeper guy comes in and he's got these dark circles under his eyes and he's like guns a blazing. It's 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 pretty funny. Yeah, yes, because we've discovered that the the Lady Hynerian made a deal with the peacekeeper, who we didn't mention this before, but this peacekeeper was a tech. We we learned early on in the show that. Peacekeeper techs are considered very lowly amongst peacekeepers. So that's probably why he was able to, without, you know, drawing too much notice, able to get these prisoners escaped. Hmm. So he, um, he really, when he comes in with, like, the circles under his eyes, he really reminds me of Nux from Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah. Nicholas he, Holt's character. He kind of has that look, that kind of, that that scrawny, lanky look. Anyway. Manic. Yeah, he comes in, guns blazing. And Chris is like, throw any non-vital part of the alien you can at him. <laughs> oh. And Jules just freaking out. She doesn't scream, which, you know when would be a good time to use your metal-melting scream? When someone is shooting a gun made out of metal at you. Yeah, yeah. Chiana and her non-binary friend catch up to them, and the non-binary friend is immediately shot because, you know, this is TV in the 90s, and if you're anything other than straight, you are... Okay, so that's true. Straight, cis, and usually male. That's true. But also, like, this is the 90s, and... Actually, it's the early 2000s, but still basically the 90s. And the... And so we're not ready for a story structure that lets Chiana just leave. So mm. that that character has to die so that Chiana doesn't leave the ship with them. Because there's no reason for her not to. 
So Poor Chiana, they just put her through it. Yeah. So, the uh, peacekeeper guy and the fish lady are trying to escape. With Rigel as their hostage. Yeah. And John's like, pilot, stop them from leaving. And pilot's like, I can't. Unfortunately, Moya's been disabled in a way where I can't use any of her things to stop what's going on in a way that I should very easily be able to, because otherwise there would be no plot. Yeah, and, um... God, it's annoying that this happens literally every episode. Well, I, I, I'm I not annoyed because I like what happens here. Aaron's like, wait, I've got a plan, and they go in Dargo's new ship, mm-hmm. and they take off, and Aaron is modifying a gun while they're on the ship. She's going to use it to grapple the transport pod. And she tells John, just look on the budong. And John has no idea what she's talking about because that was the other John. Oof. Right? There's there's a moment I like. A lot of people don't like early Uh X-Factor. For those of you who don't know, X-Factor was an X-Men spinoff that starred the original five X-Men. It was the book that brought Jean Grey back from the dead after the Dark Phoenix saga. Uh And it starts with Scott leaving his wife, Madeline. Right, right. And there's a bit early on in the book, after he thinks that Madeline and his kid were killed, where he's on a mission with Jean, and he still hasn't told Jean that he married someone and had a kid, where he accidentally calls her Madeline. Oof. And she's like, who's Madeline? And he, he just kind of yells at her. He, he's like, it's someone who knows how to open a hatch, because that's what she was trying to, uh... Fuck! Yeah. And this moment kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah, except uh, I gotta say, Scott, way more of a dick than Aaron here. Aaron's just sad. Oh yeah, Scott is kind of the worst during that. It's 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 not his shining moment. No, I, to be ambiguously fair, he's having a nervous breakdown during the first entire part of. Mm. That was back when you're. Girlfriend coming back from the dead is something that would emotionally destroy you and not Instead something... Instead of Tuesday. Mm. Jean Grey doesn't die and come back that often. It's just she does it more dramatically than Oh, no, I didn't mean... No, I meant... Yeah. Any of them. So, yeah, Rigel sees all this happening and he's like, Haha, my friends are coming to kill you! And then that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Everyone dies except they save Rigel. There's, and... this, there's this really great shot of the female Hynerian... Going in space, and she's like, fuck all of you, I hate you so much. Yep. It's a little cartoonish, but it's fun. I mean, they are puppets. Yeah. And that's it. It's the end of the episode. They they blow up the transport pod just for good measure, I guess, because they've already killed everyone. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you don't need to do that, but fine. Uh... I guess maybe they're worried that there might be another beacon or something on it. Oh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. In fact, we know there is. We know that they said they were going to send a beacon from the transport pod. So, okay, there is. So, then the final scene, John is talking to a holographic John who saved his... Who who, who saved in Stark's mask. Yeah, he recorded a message for himself with Stark before he died. And he, he catches John up on everything that happened. So, it's it's like they're both the same person again, John... Now knows everything that happened with other John. So I guess other John was a real fast talker or whatever. Yeah. Erin starts watching. She's watching her John from the shadows as 
her John is talking to, you know, still alive John, and still alive, and her John tells John, like, look, you've got this, I'm not here, but you know what you need to do. Also, furloughs out there, so maybe keep that in mind, but Scorpius oh. is still out there, too. You There's there's a lot out there that you need to be prepared for. Well, and also, he tells him the most important thing he needs to do right now is to keep Scorpius from getting the wormhole technology. And also, by the way, he needs to give Aaron some fucking space. Yeah, he says, look, don't push her. She, she just lost me. She's going to need time. And you you can't push this. You cannot push this. And then he starts throwing rock, paper, scissor again, which they did in that first episode in, in Eat Me. And when they throw rock, paper, scissor, it comes up, they both throw scissor. Because they are still the same person. Despite the fact that they had different experiences for the past several months, they are still the same man. And Aaron sees that. I don't know if I like this or not. Honestly, it really felt like they should have thrown something different. It kind of reminded me of that Charmed episode we did recently, Bride and Gloom, mm -hmm. where they make a big deal over the fact that demons can't say, I love you. And then the episode ends with Cole telling Phoebe that, you know, he wants to be with her and he's going to do everything that he can to be with her. And she leaves. And it's just this long shot of him. And then he doesn't say I love you, even though it feels like that's what the whole episode's been kind of building up to. Okay, to be fair, that's a wasted opportunity. This is them making a choice that you disagree with. Yeah, although... I, per I prefer... I, I agree with this choice, but I prefer a show make a choice I disagree with than have a wasted opportunity. Yes. And the thing is, I'm not sure if I don't like it or not. It's, it's an interesting choice. I, I think narratively speaking it 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 says a lot see i yeah i like it because it's unexpected you would expect that the thing would be john's been away for this time he's had different experiences he's become a different person this john on this ship is not your john but instead what aaron has to grapple with is in a lot of ways this john is her john but also he's not and and what does that even mean and like what even are we so it's it's a harder thing for Aaron to grapple with knowing that they're still the same man than it would be if they had, you know, thrown different. Okay, I haven't played this game. So, spoilers for Undertale, because this is one of the very few things I know about Undertale. Mm -hmm. Do you know Undertale? Yeah. It, it was this very popular indie game. But there's a bit at the beginning of the game where you're in a room and you can look at a mirror and it says, it's you. That's what's captioned at the beginning of the game. And at the end of the game, you go back to the room, and if you look in the mirror again, uh, the caption says, despite everything, it's still you. Yeah! Yes! Despite everything, it's still you. Exactly. That's beautiful! Yes! Exactly! Thanks, indie game. I can't, I can't even, I can't even, I can't add to that. That's, that's beautiful. That's perfect. Exactly. Exactly that. Despite everything, it's still John. And, uh... Speaking of, this John uh, goes, gathers everyone together for, like, a hero meeting and is like, okay, so uh, we are going to go 
take out Scorpius because everything everything else is bad. So we're gonna have to go blow up his base. That's gonna be our next our next big season finale. <laughs> yes. Also, Jewel has an eye patch for some reason, and I, and I I love that. I, I, I love that it doesn't go unremarked because Rachel's like, why are you wearing an eye patch? And she's like, I got Boolong in my eye. Yeah. Um, so the actress actually got injured. Oh, that's the... Yeah. That's why, that's why she's wearing the eye patch. It seemed like this weird <laughs> it's comedic totally thing. It's totally random, right? <laughs> because they're all doing this hero shot and she inexplicably has an eye patch. And I like that it gets addressed. Yeah. No, it's perfect because... People do just randomly get injured from things like that. So it, it works. It, it definitely works. But yeah, John's like, we need to take the fight to Scorpius. And I understand if you don't all, if you all don't want to do this, because, you know. It's going to be super dangerous. It's going to be super dangerous. And Aaron's like, you've got me by your side, John. And Grace walks over and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I was getting some water. I know it looked like I was going to. No, no, I'm kidding. He He's also on their side. All of the human people are in. But it, Human it, looking people. It is important that Aaron is the first person who, who joins with John. And Chiana, John makes this weird reference to Chiana maybe seeing the future. Right, because Chiana's like, this is going to this is gonna end badly. And he's like, is that a psychic vision or are you just being pessimistic? And it's like, she doesn't have, what is happening? Yeah, why are they talking about her like she's psychic all of a sudden? She had the painting. And also she had a chip implanted that told her when her brother died, except it didn't because he faked his death. Like, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> That's the end of this episode. The, the, the vague, the vague, uh, vaguely psychic-ness uh, of Zan needed to be, needed to be taken over by someone else. So you don't remember if that's like a thing for the rest of Farscape? I don't think it is. I don't remember if it is, but I don't think it is. Okay. So I didn't like most of this episode. There are some bits near the end that I like, but I really feel like this episode should have just been about the awkwardness of the two halves of the crew coming back together. I feel like the plot of the episode kind of undercuts what should be a really strong emotional arc. Well, I mean, you would need you would need something happening when they came together. And the the dis I mean, I feel like Honestly, you shouldn't need something for them. That should be the conflict of the episode. I would want an external conflict that was thematically similar. Yeah, well, we definitely didn't get that. Yeah. I mean, other than that you had, like, you had everybody paired, and then one of them is a traitor, and then the question is, like, is John still John? Like, all, you know, all that. It does not hold together, I don't think. I it Or at least for me, it doesn't feel like it holds together. I just, there's a thing G. Will Wilson said, uh, she wrote the Ms. Marvel comic, where she's she's like, I wanted to do issues that were just, you know, about Kamala Khan's life, you know, that mm -hmm. were just about her dealing with all of these things. But Marvel kept telling me, look, you have to have a fight. Eventually someone has to get punched. And I feel like that was sort of the plot of this episode was just a, eventually someone has to get punched. Even the Buffy episode, The Body, you've got to stake a vampire at some point. Yeah, but the thing is, it didn't randomly cut away constantly from Buffy dealing with her the grief of her mother dying for fish sex. I. It undercuts the emotional heft of what should be a very heavy moment 
Okay. This nothing plot. To be fair, we had a very heavy episode last episode. And And it was good. Yeah. I I I feel like I feel like this is a rare instance where the puppets let them down. Oh what having the puppets go is at that, each other. Is that what you think sex looks like? Between fish puppets, apparently. <laughs> There's, there's sort of yes, that was there. the 30 Rock, yeah. It is when I do it. So, uh, yeah, speaking of the puppets letting them down, let's do our segments. The first one being Strange Alien Creatures. Actually, I'm jumping ahead this week to do Strange Alien Creatures first, which is uh, what puppet or makeup or whatever worked for you this week. I mean, I, I like the blown apart alien. The bullet? Yeah, me too. That's mine. Like, we didn't get a ton of it, but conceptually it was pretty neat and the parts were gross but not in an upsetting way if that makes sense yes and it was alien but distinctive enough that you could tell oh that's its mouth yeah yeah it was that's that's if you think about all the things it had to be that's quite a needle to thread and they did it Mm -hmm. so yeah i agree with you there our second segment which is usually our first segment is a distant part of the universe which is what world building worked for you okay i did like the thing with the uh non-binary nabari i thought that was interesting uh, although in this case it's someone who was born with we, we've been saying non-binary but really it's more intersex yeah yeah with a non-traditional setup biologically speaking which is why when they wanted to prove what they were to chiana it involved them lifting up their clothes but honestly the thing that i liked was the the thing that really spoke to me, not really spoke to me, the thing, you know what, I'm going to go with liked. I didn't care for it a ton, but I thought it was interesting, was the scaring that they'd been doing experiments on. Yes, I love that they, like, they found that they could remove the scarin's like, heat source, and, and it's horrifying. Like, it's a horrifying thing, but it... Seems like way more effort than just killing them, too, but... Well, the thing about the scarin's versus the Peacekeepers is that up until this point, the Scarens have been so powerful that it's really kind of taken away a lot of the threat that Peacekeepers had in the beginning. Like, I'm not I'm not scared of Peacekeepers when there are these dragons out there that can breathe fire that could either kill me or make me tell the truth. Like Yeah, they're psychic fire beasts yeah. with impenetrable hides. Yeah, that's these these two people are not on equal footing so i like that it kind of the fact that the the horrifying visceral nature of it and also the actual practical uh negation of scarin's heat power it really kind of puts them back on the same horrifying you know level yeah yeah and then our final segment which i've already previewed mine the wonders that i've seen which is what emotionally resonated with you in this episode Clearly, it was the scene where the lady fish puppet falls into space. <laughs> where she's like, fuck you, Rigel! That, that's the part that really spoke to me on a deep emotional level. Sure, sure. Now, it was obviously Aaron watching the Johns talk for the last time. That was that was mine. And and for me, it was Aaron's, you know, telling John, just like, just like in the Budong, and him not knowing because it wasn't her John. Oh, although, God. Although... Close second, maybe actually my favorite, was the bit where the Peacekeeper's trying to talk Aaron into rejoining the Peacekeepers and, you know, 
there's there's still a place for you. You're on our side. Why aren't you helping me? And her just looking at him and then turning around and walking off. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, it's there. Wow, Claudia Black's a really good actress. It's too bad she got basically nothing to do this episode that should also have been all about her. I I mean, I know they leaned really heavily on her last episode, but... Yeah. Gosh, it's weird that when you have a really good actress, it's disappointing when you don't use her all that much. She Instead is... of, you know, fish puppets. <laughs> she is a star. My God. Ugh. Hmm. I think that'll about do it. I think that will do it for us this week. Our show's partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maricruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.